You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Chief Justice John Roberts has often talked about the independence of the judiciary and how partisanship has no place on the bench. The best way to do our job is to work together in a collegial way. Now, I'm not talking about mere civility, although that helps. I am instead talking about a shared commitment to a genuine exchange of ideas and views through each step of the decision process. We need to know at each step that we are in this together. But a new study shows that federal appeals court judges may not feel like they're in it together when sitting en banc. It shows a dramatic spike in both partisan splits and partisan reversals when all the judges on a circuit hear a case together. The study by Neil Devins and Allison Orr Larson, professors at William and Mary Law School, is called Weaponizing en banc. And Professor Devins joins me now. Neil, explain what a review en banc is. So en banc is where all the judges who sit on a circuit of the Federal Court of Appeals hear a case together, as opposed to what happens almost always, which are three judge panels. And en banc is used for two types of situations. One is where there's a conflict between panels. So you have two groups of three who have different views as to what the legal answer is, what, right, what the right answer is to the question. And so you have to resolve the conflict so that the circuit has a law of the circuit. And then the second way that en banc is used is cases of import. So the, the most important cases the circuit gets, the most consequential, the most controversial cases. And that's what the en banc process operates as. And it's also very different from other situations where you have a reviewing court being higher in the hierarchy of courts. So you have the district court is reviewed by the Court of Appeals, is reviewed by the U.S. Supreme Court. Each of the three courts is a distinctive court with different personnel. En banc is a situation where you have the judges who sit on the same court reviewing the work of a panel of judges from that court. And you actually nullify the panel of judges' decision, and it is thrown out. It's not in the federal reporter anymore. And instead, you get a new decision from the en banc court. 
So it's the only instance where the review of a decision is done sort of horizontally by the same level of judges as opposed to vertically by a higher court. Is that sort of awkward to have them reversing what their fellow judges have ruled? Yes, it is very awkward. And that is part of the reason that typically federal court of appeals judges do not like to hear cases on bonk because you were essentially saying to your colleagues, you know, the work you did was not satisfactory to all the judges who sit on this circuit. So that type of review has the risk of creating ill will. And so issues of collegiality are particularly relevant in on bonk because it has a group of judges doing precisely what you said, reviewing the handiwork, not of judges on a different court, but of judges on their court. So why did you decide to do this study? Well, as is well known, over the past several decades, the parties have drifted further and further apart from each other. There's a sharper partisan divide between Republicans and Democrats now as compared to earlier times when Democrats included conservatives, Southern Democrats, and Republicans included progressive Northern Rockefeller Republicans. So now we live in a world where the party divide is also an ideological divide. And starting in particular with Ronald Reagan, presidents have paid attention to ideology when appointing judges. And needless to say, as we saw with Merrick Garland and the refusal to hold hearings for Merrick Garland, the end of the filibuster for lower court judges when Obama was president and for Supreme Court justices when Trump was president, we've seen this intense politicization of the appointments and confirmation process as well. So we live in a world today where there's much more of a team mentality. You know, the Democratic team and the Republican team, and that there's loyalty to your team. We see that in the world of politics. We see that in just personal lives and social media. And so Ali Larson, my co-author, and I, thought it would be useful to see whether that polarization has spilled over to the federal courts of appeals so that the en banc process was one where there were increasing use of en banc to have the majority political party on a circuit overturn panel decisions from the minority political party. So was en banc becoming a partisan political weapon just as partisanship has been growing throughout the nation in all sorts of ways. So has en banc been captured this way? Has it been transformed this way? So we just wanted to look at that. And it has obvious ramifications to not just the decision-making of the Federal Court of Appeals, but of sort of larger questions regarding collegiality, judicial independence, the commitment to the rule of law, the notion that judges are above politics. So for all those reasons, we thought it would be useful to take a look at how en banc has changed over the years. So tell us about the results of the study that you did with Professor Allison Larson. So what we found was reassuring and troubling at the same time. I'll start with the reassuring part of what we found, and I'll shift to the troubling part, if that's okay. So notwithstanding the fact that partisanship and ideology started to play a more pronounced role when Ronald Reagan was president, we didn't see that impact on bond decision-making up until the Trump era of the last three years. So in other words, partisan splits, partisan reversals, the notion of a majority party of the circuit overturning the decisions of a minority party, 
we didn't see any impact with respect to the rise in polarization and partisanship from Ronald Reagan through Donald Trump. So it seems that values of collegiality, judicial independence, commitment to the rule of law, that these values were very strong. And even though the judges themselves were further apart ideologically, the Democratic and Republican appointees, it wasn't spilling over to en banc up until 2018, essentially. But during the Trump era, over the last three years, 2018, 2019, 2020, we saw a dramatic spike up on en banc, essentially doubling the number of partisan en banc decisions as compared to earlier eras. So a statistically significant spike up. And that obviously is troubling. And then the paper considers whether this is a short-term phenomenon associated with things specific to Donald Trump. There are certain cases like the emoluments clause cases, the immigration cases that were tied to things that were unique to Donald Trump, or alternatively, whether this spike up is just that the partisanship has finally metastasized and we now live in this new world of partisanship and en banc is reflective of that new world and it just took a while to get there. And we don't know. We'll find out over the next few years what happens. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. I want to break it down a little bit. First of all, how do you define a partisan split on an on-bank panel? Is it all the Democratic-appointed judges on one side and all the Republican-appointed judges on the other? Essentially, yes. We allow for maybe one defector, but essentially you have a split where the Republicans are on one side and the Democrats are on one side. Sometimes it's a perfect split. Sometimes it's a near-perfect split, but it's essentially a Democrat-Republican split. Are both the Democratic-appointed judges and the Republican judges engaged in this? Yes. One of the things the study finds, and I wouldn't necessarily say this is heartening, but um, it's to say that it's not a question of only Republicans are doing this to Democrats or only Democrats are doing this to Republicans. There are circuits where you have a majority Democratic circuit that's policing Republican panels. So this occurred on the D.C. circuit in subpoena cases involving Don McGahn and Michael Flynn. It occurred. On the Fourth Circuit, another Democratic majority circuit in cases involving the Emoluments Clause. So there are clear examples of Democratic dominated circuits policing Republican panels. And then there are examples in the other direction of Republican dominated circuits apparently policing Democratic panels. So in the Sixth Circuit, which has a majority of judges appointed by Republicans, A three-judge panel held in 2020 that the 14th Amendment protected the fundamental rights of basic minimum education and that Detroit schools were violating that right. And that was a Democratic panel 
but the Sixth Circuit, a Republican circuit, overturned that Democratic panel. And then another example was the Eleventh Circuit ruling on Bonk that this concerned felon voting in Florida, concluding on Bonk that felons could not vote, upvote in the Florida one, not allowing felons to vote, and that was done on Bonk by a Republican-dominated circuit. How much of a difference is there in these partisan-type rulings from before Trump? We studied over a six-decade period. So we started by looking at Ambank in the 1960s, and then we brought it all the way up through 2020. And I'll just give you the numbers leading up to Trump. So in the decades before Trump, it is 25% in 86 to 88 20%, 20%, 96 to 98, 19%, 2006 to 2008, 16.5%, 2016, 2017. And then with Trump, it's 35% partisan reversals. And that's where there's a majority of one party policing the panel, which is a majority of the other party. And 27% of the types of splits where it's divided almost perfectly in one party lines. So it was going down until until Trump? Yes, it was going down until Trump. Not profoundly, you know, not necessarily statistically significantly down, but going down from Reagan until Trump and then doubling with Trump. So is that statistically significant? Yes. Oh, yeah. We, we checked out the spike up, and the spike up during the Trump era was statistically significant. Is this possibly then... A blip on the screen, a moment in time? Yeah, so this is the question we were talking about just a second ago, where some of these cases, like the subpoena cases involving Don McGahn and Michael Flynn, the emoluments clause, immigration, many of the en banc cases over the last three years involve, for lack of a better way of putting it, the Trump docket. Okay, Trump initiatives, either personal or policy initiatives. And those cases with a different president will also disappear. Whether there will be a Biden docket that will divide the courts on bank is yet to be seen. It may not happen. So this may be Trump only. It may be a blip. On the other hand, it may be that the partisan divide has finally metastasized and the judicial independence collegiality norms that carried the day up until 2017 have now given way to these norms of party identity and partisan decision-making. Um, and that's something that obviously we don't know for sure what's going to happen, and that's what we need to see over the next several years as to whether things stabilize and return to how they were or whether essentially with Trump, we're just in a new world, and this is a time where the partisan divide is going to just spill over to more and more things, including online decision-making. Do you think that this shows that Justice Roberts was incorrect when he said there are no Obama judges, no Bush judges, no Trump judges? Well, it's a yes and no answer. If what Chief Justice Roberts was saying is that the judges are committed to the rule of law and not to a political party. That seems to have held true up until 2018. And then the question becomes whether 
2018 to 2020 is a total transformation where we now do have this partisan divide or whether 2018 to 2020 is just related to the Trump docket. So before 2018, I think you can say that Chief Justice Roberts' view that the judges identified with rule of law norms of judicial independence and collegiality, I think Chief Justice Roberts was right. As to whether Chief Justice Roberts is right post-2018, that's a little up in the air. It may be that we do have Trump and Obama judges, but let's see what happens going forward and whether the partisan divide continues or whether there's a return to normalcy. So the jury is a little bit still out on that question as well. But I think he was generally correct up until 2018 at least. Do you think that the appointment of more moderate judges by Biden might help deflect this? Well, I think what may matter the most is whether the judges appointed by President Biden are committed to collegiality and judicial independence and whether they try to work as part of a circuit which is committed to not democratic goals, but committed instead to rule of law goals. So a lot of this is going to depend on the outlook of the Biden appointees. Is their outlook that they're seeking to ideologically counterbalance Trump appointees, in which case you're going to have a partisan divide and this is likely to continue? Or will they instead say partisanship is a problem, I'm committed to rule of law values, I'm going to try to mitigate this turn to partisanship. So we need to see who President Biden appoints and what their orientation is. Thanks for being on the Bloomberg Law Show, Neil. That's Professor Neil Devins of William & Mary Law School. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. I'm June Grosso. Thanks so much for listening. And please tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every week, 9 at 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on Bloomberg Radio. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.